Ladies and gentlemen, I hate the international break title of the podcast. I'm just throwing that out there. We are back on the overlap talking a little bit of English footy, Premier League football. Man, it's been like 10 days since we last recorded. I, I mean, yeah, probably a little, like about 10 days, almost two weeks. Yeah, not much to talk about during the international break other than the fact that my original OG home country of Ethiopia lost to Ivory Coast in AFCON qualifiers. Um, oh, no. Seemingly, there were, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, there were not that many injuries, I think, overall, which is a pretty huge net positive. Um, <laughs> U.S. men's national team kicked it, like, very happy, great performances all around, some some huge stars, some coming through, um, except for we don't talk about Olympic qualifiers, but that's the whole other thing. Um what yeah, else? I'm yeah. missing anything else. I mean, <laughs> Spain almost crapped the bed, but they did not, thanks to Danny Olmo. Um, Germany did crap the bed <laughs> against Macedonia. Yeah. Um, or North, was it, was it Macedonia? Yeah, North, Mace- North Macedonia. North Macedonia, yeah. yes. I almost combined Northern Ireland and Macedonia. So, yeah, so Germany, yeah, Yergi Love is on his way out. You could clearly tell. What else? I think that's, I'm trying to give like the fastest roundup of international football ever. And I think that's all of the major points. France won. <laughs> no surprises yeah. there. Um, Harry Kane is still good at striking. Still great. Uh, England, I mean, we'll get into it when we get to the Liverpool section. But, uh, I mean, England won all of their matches. But a certain Trent Alexander-Arnold was not in the international squad at all this this past break. Which, well, we'll get into what that might mean for his Euros campaign. But... Other than yeah. that, I mean, it was it was a good weekend, um, non sports wise, non non soccer wise. Uh, Elias went back to our our hometown this weekend, and mm-hmm. we went back to Philly. Um, I did. We were we were like in totally different um, types of areas in terms of I was out. I went into uh, like kind of upstate, or yeah, upstate in quotation marks, New York, <laughs> which is which is more or less any thing outside of new york city if you're not from new york city you kind of feel, feel like is, is us in new york but um but yeah um i was out at an apple farm and ellie's was in the city in philadelphia specifically it, it was a solid weekend yeah just i've not been out of the city in several months and just getting out getting some fresh air and not being cooped up was just key Move yeah, from one see. urban area to another. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll take it. It's just a change of scenery at this point. And the one thing <clears throat> I started doing this thing on my phone. I don't know if Rian may have seen this. Um, you know, last what's called? I think I put this up like yesterday or something. I downloaded this app. I actually literally purchased this app that takes Polaroid style pictures and like turns it you know like the old-fashioned pictures that have like the little dates in like orange yeah. at the bottom they're, they're like all like it. they're all like for some reason backdated to just like 1999 or 1998 on all of them like, like the ones like... that i put up or no no, no 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 in general i feel like the ones that yeah, i see online yeah, yeah. are always like 1998 or something which is yeah, like you'll never see like aesthetic <laughs> <laughs> i mean apparently all of those cameras um like some sort of y2k thing where they just stopped doing dates after a certain point but um 
<laughs> I mean, I you're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely not wrong. But yeah, that's what I've been getting into. I took a lot of pictures this weekend. But I'm going to try and continue that as we get into hot girl summer, uh, which is what I'm calling 20, summer 2020 for all genders. Hot yeah. girl summer. I mean, or as Chet Hanks has said, uh, it's white boy summer. <laughs> There are specific rules That's... for white boy summer, by the way. You can't just, <laughs> yeah, you can't just go into white girl or. No, there are definitely there are definitely specific rules, like and <laughs> like very strict ones, unfortunately. Um, yes. But neither here nor there. Elias, shall we get into the weekend in the Premier League? Well, I mean, it depends. Do you really want to talk about the first game that's on the list? That's up to you. <laughs> I'm down to talk about it, but, but yeah. Let's talk about literally the worst game under Thomas Tuchel for for Chelsea. You want to go ahead, start off. Were you drinking during this game, or were actually <laughs> answer answer this question for me? Who had more beers during this game or prior to this game? Tiago Silva, Christian Pulisic, or yourself? Um, d- prior to this game, uh, well, I mean, it just depends on how prior like definitely <laughs> in the in the couple hours leading up to the game i had none i was asleep but Fair. i mean the night before yes um for the rest of those guys uh, it i said it i i said it um in one of our group chats but it looked like they hit a bottomless brunch like just like in the morning before this game and, I saw um... that. that made me die laughing <laughs> It, it looked like that. It um, on Twitter, I, I thought it looked like both teams had, you know, been inspired by Wolf of Wall Street and just railed a few lines blow before the game. I mean, the game was itself was for neutral, amazing, um, up and down, a game that you would not expect from involving a West Brom team. Even as Chelsea went down to ten men, they were pretty expansive. From the Chelsea side, though, I mean, I I honestly have a hard time um, making a lot out of this game outside of what Ellie said to start with. Like, by far, it's the worst performance that the team has had under Tuchel so far, and especially defensively, right? Up until this past weekend, they'd only allowed, in the league, two goals on 0.4 expected goals allowed per 90. They hadn't had a single game where they allowed more than 0.7 expected goals. And also, leading up to this game, seven shots allowed per game. Now, just from this one game, five goals on 1.38 XG allowed and 14 shots allowed to West Brom. And I know that we can we can talk a lot about, you know, why this happened, the spaces that opened up as it went to 11v10. Um, we can talk about how there wasn't quite enough from Chelsea in the 30 minutes leading up to that yellow card, but they did take the lead. I, I think a lot of this game can be summed up by a few perfor- first-half performances. I think... It was probably the worst game I can remember Jorginho playing as a Chelsea player. Um, I, I think Tiago, I think a sentence that I would have never expected to utter in my entire life, which is 
Tiago Silva will be very happy to see the backs of West Brom <laughs> after this game and not have to play and probably not have to play against <laughs> them ever again in his career, considering their their relegation prospects. Um, I, I, I think that the first both of his yellow cards came directly from turnovers by Jorginho in the final third or in the in Chelsea's own defensive third. Unfortunately, both of the goals you could also attribute to a turnover by Jorginho in the buildup. So I, I think my only criticism I, I'd have of uh, of Tuchel from this game itself is that when Chelsea went down to ten men, um, he did a straight, not a straight swap. He, well, he took out, he had to take off Ziyech, or he took off Ziyech for. Christensen and stayed with the back three. And then even as Chelsea went down a goal in the second half, um, a third attacker was not brought on until maybe 10, 15 minutes left in the game when Havertz came on. So um, it, it definitely, it, it, it feels like a freak game in some sense. I, I mean, I think there were, I think there generally were just sluggish performances. I thought Chelsea was very sloppy in the first half and, how much can we attribute that to a vast majority of Chelsea players coming back from international break compared to a few from West Brom? You throw in the twelve thirty kickoff, and it's probably a concoction for for a weird game, and it was an extremely weird game. But you have to give West Brom a lot of credit because their goals are really good. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the the first goal was was pretty root one, obviously. Um, I think it was it was straight from the keeper and straight down the middle, and um, this this like a kind of a trailing run and a good finish by the way, and then the second goal just it came off of a turnover, so I should say the first turn the first goal was not Jorginho's fault at all, but um, second goal is a turnover by him in the in that defensive third, then their third and fourth goals were just outstanding. I mean the third goal, which was like that volley. From like the top of the box on on like a sick cross, too. yeah, absurd. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was a drunk game, so yeah, you know, you know that was to be expected. Yeah, you got you got to give them credit. Um, I think when when Branislav Ivanovic got injured and he had already come on for a center back who got injured earlier in the game, instead of bringing on a center back to to uh, just kind of make that swap, Allardyce chose to bring on uh, another t- attacker and and West Brom didn't sit back on their 2-1 lead, we should say, and they and they exploited a lot of the spaces that were left by Chelsea because of because of being down a man and and overall Chelsea couldn't at this moment, I guess we could say they cannot handle being down a man <laughs> um as a team yet and I think it's a I mean, pretty okay, disappointing so to be fair, that's not a normal thing. You're exactly, saying it like right, it's commonplace, right, but yes. Right. <laughs> Um, I For mean, most of the game too. Hey, they could be worse. They could be conceding nine goals when they go down a man. I'm so sorry. I, that that was very uncalled wow. for. It was that uncalled was for so for any Southampton or Ralph House and Hodel fans, but um, of which you are included. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, overall, I, I think like the results obviously really poor, but um. I think from a Chelsea perspective, it's not an existential crisis. It's it's not, it's not anything like, let's say, the Leicester loss um, in Frank Lampard's last game or 
or something like that Man City game, like at the beginning of the year or beginning of 2021. So from the Chelsea side, I don't know, Elias, does this game bring up any concerns in terms of their upcoming tie, upcoming first leg tie against Porto? No. I mean, short answer is no. I, I honestly am not concerned. I think this was almost, I hate to use this kind of cliche phrase, but it was almost like they were getting the toxicity from the international break out of their system. Like there, <laughs> there has been a lot of uh, just, I don't even know what the word is. It's been lackadaisical for most of the last two days, three days, I should say, right? Recording this on Monday. So the weekend's games were very, very lethargic. And watching all the teams teams in England play, there was not one team, maybe Liverpool, but there were not there's not one team that stood out to me that was like, wow, okay, they're back to exactly where they they were before, right? Even City. I, I would argue City were not even at that point. Um yeah, I, I'm not necessarily worried against for their game against Porto. I think the Champions League and the mentality of this team has shifted since Lampard was sacked. And Tuchel is almost a... He's he's taken on this, like, father figure with Chelsea where he acts like a disciplinarian rather than also, you know, just being a tactical manager, right? And that's what you need in big Champions League ties. It's part of why they made it past Atletico. So... I think they're okay. I still I still have faith in Chelsea against Porto. I think you're talking about a team that could very well be in the semifinals of the Champions League. I think that's probably where things stop for them in all likelihood. But at the same time, I, I think that this isn't necessarily one-off game to be worried about. If they go on and lose to Porto, then I think we're having a different conversation. But let's not get crazy. Yeah, I, I think in terms of the Porto game, the... the the one concern that I can take from the, from the West Brom result or performance is how did Porto hurt Juve? And it was the mistakes that Juve made at the back in terms of passing and Porto really jumped on them and they jumped on them early. As we remember in the first leg, they jumped on them early in both halves of the first leg um, Juventus. So I, I think that's the only thing that would worry me. But in, in that sense, like, you're going to get punished by a lot of teams if you make those mistakes at the back. So that that doesn't change much um, opponent to opponent, right? From West Brom's side of this, this win was fantastic, but even Sam Allardyce was not extremely um, over-enthusiastic about it. I mean, he was obviously delighted with the three points, but even he himself said that, you know, we still have to win more games for the rest of the season than we have up until this point. And so they sit still eight points off of survival. They still have to play Leicester away, Villa, Arsenal all away, and Liverpool and West Ham at home, right? And even if they go down, I mean, this season they've taken seven points off of Chelsea, four points off of Chelsea, I should say, specifically, but seven points off of Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, and Liverpool throughout the season. And a fun fact for you before we uh, move on to Liverpool-Arsenal Callum Robinson, scorer of two goals this past weekend against Chelsea, has scored five career Premier League goals. Elias, all five of those Premier League goals have come off of Chelsea, against Chelsea. Wow. Wow. He came up with Sheffield United last season, scored 
in one of the games against Chelsea and has now scored two goals in his last, or sorry, two goals each of his last two games against Chelsea, where he scored twice in Chelsea's 3-3 draw against West Brom earlier this season. But just a, just a fun fact for you. Um, I was talking I mean, with, you know... with our roommate Jay, and he was saying he has to, he can never score again in his career. He has to just, he has to just keep <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the alternative is, from Chelsea's point of view, if you can't beat him, join him. So, yes, get him, be... stash him, loan him out for the rest of his career, and <laughs> just don't have to deal with it. <laughs> Basically, I mean that's been their strategy for the past ten years. So no, no reason to change right now. But yes, uh, TLDR: West Brom are still going to be relegated. This is a fluke game. I really don't think there's much more to it. I, I honestly don't. Yeah, and then Chelsea get a good chance to rebound against against Porto this week, and um, and their their schedule is still very favorable for the next few games. But you know, this makes their next two games against Crystal Palace and Brighton very important to get three points in each before they play West Ham on the twenty fourth of April. So, right. Well, let's move on, Rian. Talk about arguably was one of two big games of the weekend: um, Liverpool Arsenal. I thought this game would have been a lot less obvious who the winner would be. Um, I, I was honestly disappointed in Arsenal, and I don't know why, because the most inconsistent team of the last six years <laughs> should not surprise me this much. But they were lifeless. I mean, they did not look like a team that were organized. I think that was the key thing that really threw me off. Like, they didn't... They didn't look like they had a clear idea of how to defend Liverpool in any way. And I'm not talking about on the counterattack. I mean, in full passages of play, they, they were all over the place. I, I, I was just really disappointed in Arsenal overall. Yeah, I, I, lifeless, is a good, lifeless is a good word. Cautious, really timid. Mm-hmm. Um. You could see the goals coming. You could see the Liverpool goal coming. Not even necessarily because Liverpool were playing so well and playing them off the park, right? But it was just the pressure, the wave after wave. Arsenal sat so deep and didn't didn't really put pressure on the ball until Liverpool were at their box, at their own penalty box, right? Um, it, it It was a wonderful performance by some individuals on Liverpool, one of them being Trent Alexander-Arnold. He was his cross for Jota's goal was just, I mean, hey, just uh, yes. It's it, he's <laughs> he's ridiculous because the thought to instead of taking a touch and then playing and and getting into like a different position or trying to get to the byline and play that cross, I think the pass from Salah was like a little wide, and he literally literally was like, oh, okay, I'll just let this run. And while I'm on this like weird angle, play this first time, and and it's a perfect cross to uh, Diego Jota. So, uh, a great performance, great performance from Liverpool like as a team, and and to easily overpower Arsenal like that. But um, I think Arsenal will be really disappointed with with how it just felt like they never got close to uh, to Liverpool in that game. But from a Liverpool side. The results this weekend absolutely went in their favor, right? Um, and 
now they sit two points off of Chelsea in fourth place. And they've got one of the more favorable schedules in terms of the top four contenders now. Right? They only current half, top half teams that they still have to play for the rest of the season are Aston Villa, Leeds, United, who are 11th right now, but they are tied um, with Arsenal on points. So I'll give you that, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt there. And Manchester United, right? Whereas Chelsea still have to play five teams in the top half. Leicester have to play four. Spurs with five. And West Ham have to only play three themselves. So Liverpool are looking like they're in a great shot to now make top four. And I know Jurgen Klopp said before this game that now Liverpool has like their mini season. Um, and he's not wrong. I mean, it's it's now if they go out and do what they expect themselves to do, especially now with the injury um, table for them looking much, much more manageable, um, at least from like a midfield and, and forward attacking forward side, they put themselves in a great position. Now, I mean, they're going to still need help for the rest of the season. Right. But, um, but I don't know, at least like, how are you viewing Liverpool's chances of getting to the top four? and overtaking like Chelsea and Spurs and all of these teams that I think it's like, we should say like four or so teams that are fighting for this top four spot now. Yeah. Well, let me go team by team because I think it's very different between Chelsea and Spurs who I think are probably Liverpool's main competition here. First off Spurs will continue to drop points. Spurs will continue to look inconsistent broken and a couple of players on a pitch with very little execution. Right. And I think we'll get to this, but the Newcastle game was a perfect example of that. Chelsea are a little different in that they're now tied with Chelsea on points, but two points off. I lied two points off, (laughs) but actually, I mean, even better, but Chelsea have not lost a Premier League game in 13 games something like that. So you're dealing with two very different teams, right? And form is everything going into the tail end of the season. So Liverpool's main competition here is really not Spurs. It's Chelsea. And if you look at, like I just read out the remaining schedule that Chelsea has versus Liverpool, you'd have to say that Liverpool are favorites to net out plus two or plus three points over Chelsea between now and end of May. So If I'm choosing between Liverpool and Chelsea for who gets that fourth spot, I'm going to lean towards Liverpool. But this isn't to say that Chelsea are not a top four team. I think this is Chelsea's to lose. In fact, it literally is Chelsea's to lose. Yeah, of the teams, it is Chelsea that still, quote unquote, controls their own destiny, right? Um, And with this, take, take what you will from this. But for this past weekend, as you know, we love to you know keep our eye on on five thirty eight predictions at times. But before this past weekend, Chelsea were sitting at sixty six percent probability to qualify for the Champions League. Liverpool were at twenty seven percent, and after this past weekend, Liverpool are now sitting fifty five percent probability to make the Champions League places. While Chelsea have dropped out of that top four. 
with 38%. So it, it definitely plays a lot of those uh, probabilities play into like the remaining schedule, right? And so if we're just looking at that, yeah, Liverpool have the much easier schedule right now. And they're starting to get players back. Or they've gotten basically all of their players back outside of Van Dyke and, and Joel Matip, right? But yeah, they're looking really dangerous. And from the Madrid side, we'll, I think we'll get onto that at the end here, that they're looking very, very dangerous, right? Um, to In terms of uh, Madrid being able to, to handle Liverpool. We should obviously touch on the other side of this game right the other yeah. the other 11 yeah. players um i i i think we've been very calm about the arsenal situation this season right in terms of what we feel is wrong with with the club as a whole not not just the squad but um i i do think this is an interesting time to take a little vibes check on on arsenal and Mikel arteta and We've we've said this is a transitional season for them, right? But at what point do we start? I, I I hate to be a results guy, but start questioning the consistency of results for Arsenal. I believe they have not won three games in a row this season at all. Um, I have not looked back into last season, and and I don't think they did at any point after Arteta came in, and I'd be surprised if they did in that kind of disaster first few months with um with Unai Emery starting last start of last season but at least I just I just want to throw these numbers out and this is speaking from a perspective of someone who is very much not blaming Mikel Arteta for the lion's share of problems with this team but through 51 games, and Mikel Arteta is, is coming is through 50, 50 games, but through 51 games from Unai Emery, Arsenal had 25 wins, 13 draws, 13 losses, um, recorded 1.73 points per game in the Premier League, 91 goals, 470 against, and an expected goal difference per 90 of positive 0.08 which is razor thin every game more or less it chance chances wise a toss-up right Mikel Arteta through 50 games and maybe I should have waited until next week for us for this to be like perfectly like <laughs> symmetrical but um through 50 games 21 wins 12 draws 17 losses at one and a half points per game in the Premier League 72 goals scored, 56 against, and an expected goal difference of negative 0.003. Expected goal difference per game, I should say. Which, I guess to say that nothing has changed, more or less, right? I mean, I understand that it is a negative expected goal difference there, right? But it's still, every game on average, is like a toss-up in terms of quality chances created and conceded by this team. And I just wonder, like, is there a point that we should be expecting more from this team in terms of results? Well, 
Yes and no. I think you agree that this is a transitional season for Arsenal, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. So if we if we agree that it's a transitional season, then you would expect probably some of the newer kids on the block to be playing more often than the veterans. I, I that that's usually what happens in transitional seasons, right? See Chelsea two years ago. See Barcelona now, for example. Um, that's usually what happens in transitional seasons, but you don't really see that happening right now. And I think the decline of players like Aubameyang after getting a massive three-year contract, the decline of whatever is left of, I can't believe I'm saying this, Devin Louise, and the senior players in the squad who play basically every week, basically every game, it's not truly a transitional season, nor is it a season where they are going out and are expected to win every game. You know what I mean? It's it's a weird middle ground. And yes, I would expect more from a team that has senior leaders and has extremely what I would call probably world-class talent. Maybe that's not producing, but they do have world-class talent. But at the same time, I'm not exactly expecting a top four run or a Europa League run. I'm not expecting them to go out and be the biggest teams in England, right? So it's, I'm not expecting a lot from this team in the beginning, but yes, I'm expecting more than mid-table, yeah. Yeah, and man, I, I know we kind of said it, we mentioned it maybe a couple times. I don't know if it was maybe last season or probably earlier in this season when the, the struggles were really bad for Arsenal, but there, there really is not a lot stopping them from getting into the same rut that we saw AC Milan be in for almost like six years up until basically these last two seasons, right? And it's it's just, I feel it's, it's a warning sign more than anything. And it doesn't feel like this upcoming summer is going to be enough to fully fix the problems at the club. Um, and obviously, I, for the sake of our friend Jay, we're hoping that that it is, <laughs> that at least a lot of it gets done this summer. But there, there's no, no guarantee. Promises. There's no guarantee yeah. in any of this, right? Like, there's no guarantee just because you're the name and the brand. And, and granted, yes, a Premier League club that makes a lot more money than AC Milan were making in, in the time that they were, you know, having their struggles right but now a lot of teams in england have that money and it's <laughs> and there is no guarantee that they will be perennially perennially fighting for the top four again next season or even two seasons from now right so uh depressing for for our arsenal listeners but um it, it's, <laughs> not it's not great not great and and probably not much different than what you've what Arsenal fans and, and Arsenal Twitter have ar have already been discussing themselves. So the summer's a big one, obviously, for, for Arsenal. Yeah. But um it's not easy. It's really it's gonna be very difficult to fix all of this. Yeah, I mean I agree and I think the perfect encapsulation of this is I don't know if they're not getting enough services to Aubameyang or Lacazette, but the fact that Aubameyang has scored 
seven non-penalty goals on, I think it's 7.4 non-penalty expected goals, plus I think one assist. He's averaging 0.37 non-penalty expected, or non-penalty goals and assists per 90 in the league, as Rion loves the stats. Mm. And I think that's like 50th, 49th or 50th in the league. So yeah. that's not exactly going to do it for you if you're if you're aiming for bare minimum Europa League. Especially, it's it's not necessarily acceptable from your highest paid player either, right? Top top five. Not, not his fault for taking the, the contract, league. by the way. Not, not his fault. Like, like not blaming him for taking the money, but you know, he that, got the bag. Yeah, <laughs> from the team wise, yeah, it's you, you'd expect more, right? Well. Shall we take our break, Elias, and, and we'll come back and speak about the other side of North London, different type of disappointments there. Yes, yes, you need to drink before you're about to listen to the second half of this podcast. All right, Rian, I'm drunk. Not really, because I don't drink. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about Spurs. Um Fun fact for you, how many points do you think Spurs have dropped in the last 15 minutes of Premier League games this season? Ooh, okay. There is a right answer, by the way. This isn't me being like... Oh, definitely. Oh, no, no. There has to be a right answer. Unlimited. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's infinite. The limit does not exist. Literally. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, I'm going to guess it's somewhere around 10. 13. Goodness. 13 points they have dropped <laughs> in the final 15 minutes of games this season, which is imagine if they had just half of that back. Just imagine what it would be. <laughs> they would literally it, be in fourth. Comfortably in the top four. Yeah. 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 That's that's the difference between a top four team and I hate to say it, but Spurs. So, yeah, another massive opportunity lost um, to get back into the top four race. Thoughts on let's talk about the performance first and then we can talk about what Jose said after. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The performance itself, I mean, hats off to Harry Kane and that might be it. I mean, (laughs) Newcastle opened the scoring and then two, well, one kind of scrappy Harry Kane goal, but he's in the right place as he usually is and then a second fantastic goal from him where it's just from a a tough angle to score from and and i'll never be uh i'll never be surprised or or not amazed i should say i'll never be it'll never cease to amaze me that's the that's the phrase it'll never cease to amaze me that um how good harry kane is at not just placing the shots but placing them with power and i mean i think that's one of the things that impressed me the most about erling holland as well but from harry kane amazing amazing outside of that the team performance was really poor from a tottenham standpoint this game had a combined xg of six and a half which i saw from optus twitter account is the most in a single game from two teams since 2011. And four of that six and a half XG came from 
a Newcastle side who are missing Callum Wilson, their top scorer for the rest of the season. Alan St. Maximin came on in the middle of the second half because he's had injury problems. They had Miguel Almiron on the field, but overall, just, just, I mean, you can predict a lot of these late minute or last couple minute draws and losses from Tottenham at this point, right? They go up, they take the lead, and they never do anything to take control of the game in terms of possession or in terms of build-up play to be able to take the to get the next goal. And in, ter- in terms of in terms of what? In ter- you said did you say possession? <laughs> what? <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry I, did, I, no, I just didn't understand. I did that vote that word wasn't in the Tottenham Hotspur vocabulary. Sorry. Yeah, I just, yeah. I had to stop you there. I didn't understand. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean keeping the balls for cowards, as I've <laughs> as I've been led to believe by a certain Portuguese. Um <laughs> I just I don't know where to go with them anymore. And and uh we saw in Jose's post match press conference he was um he was basically saying like um yeah, nothing's changed. Same same coach, different same, same players. Coach, different players, yeah. But I was led to believe when he first took this job, he said, <laughs> I'm different. He he literally said that I've changed. So um sounds like a lie. But I I at least <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know anymore. Like they, they have one thing left to play for. And and you'd think that their focus on the league should be enough for them to get into the right headspace and do this. But um, we shouldn't, we also shouldn't be surprised by, by this game. And, and we probably shouldn't be surprised if they disappointingly don't make a real push for the top four. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, first off, like I just mentioned Spurs are competing for, basically fifth or sixth fifth fifth or sixth they're not really competing for top four i gave my reasons why liverpool i think are competing more so with chelsea and with west ham um but at the same time ah, this team confuses me almost more than arsenal like this is ah, i i don't i actually don't understand it they I mean, the have, talent level feels like it's better right yes <laughs> it, it does that's my point like this team has the individual pieces to make it work bar i would say a strong center back pairing i think we've talked about this time and time again yeah but i don't i'm starting to think that that might not be the only thing they need that like it's (laughs) i I can't believe i'm having this like realization now but like they need they need a new mentality. I don't know how you can't like download, you can't go to mentality.com and download <laughs> a new fresh mindset. Like there's something psychologically missing from well, this team that I would expect. I, I honestly would have expected. Oh yeah. To still. I that, honestly. You're, yeah. You're hitting on it right there. I mean that I was going to say like, that is no, that that's why we, that's what we were led to believe was the reason that Jose Mourinho was appointed, right. Was to take this team that, supposedly had a weak mentality had such a weak mentality under Poch and like Poch was partially the reason that they had a weak mentality 
that Jose Mourinho was going to come in and just like yell at them and say ba 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 as we saw in the Amazon Prime documentary. Actually, it's ba 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 Yeah, that he was just going to like bully them into being title winners, right? Uh, so um, if Jose Mourinho can't give you that, I'm not sure what is the reason for employing him as your manager. Uh, this, this is tough for Spurs because this will be the one thing that I'm very I'm most interested to see between now and the end, or between the beginning and the end of the summer in the transfer window. Get rid of Jose Mourinho, bring in someone like Nagelsmann, who I think would be, oof, that would be a great, great addition for, for Spurs. Um, but at the same time, it almost feels like they need something more of a radical change. Like they, it feels like they almost need part of their core to leave. Yeah. I, like, like I, I, I don't know if that's way off base, but it feels like it feels like they're almost holding them back. I, I don't, I, I don't know if there's another way to say it, but it almost feels like on the field they are performing and they are killing the game, but the negative ramifications of, I guess, what the mentality of old is having on this team is, is just sad. Yeah. Um, I mean, it'll, I think they're my most curious team to watch this summer um, in terms of what happens, especially if they don't finish in the top four, of course, which seems more likely than not. And um yeah, there's there's a lot of question marks around this around Tottenham in the summer, but w- with their prospects of the top four, at least before before we move on to the our last segment of the day, uh, let's just do a little ranking of our confidence levels for the teams that are still very much in the picture of of a top four race. So that includes. Chelsea, I I can tell includes... you that City will be in the top. Four. That's that's. Where I'm at. <laughs> I I'll I'll keep it for for third place and below, right? So <laughs> we'll do that with Leicester, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, and I'll, I'll throw in Everton. They, they drew. West oh Ham? yes, West Ham. Oh my gosh, West Ham. Let Let's do it for those five and 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 Everton. So those six. Okay. Okay. Your confidence level rankings. I'll I'll start off from those four, or sorry, six. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Liverpool, Leicester, as, as the two. So I still I still think there's a possibility that Liverpool could finish above Leicester if, if some things go their way. But Leicester, Liverpool, you can kind of switch those together if you want. Chelsea. Then West Ham, then Tottenham and Everton for me. Um, I don't know if I necessarily disagree with that. I'm trying to think. So I would, I would definitely go Liverpool and Leicester as as my first two. I would say Chelsea, West Ham, Everton. Spurs. 
after that. I think I think Everton and James are kind of finding their footing again. I mean, they've lost two and drawn one in their last games. I think that maybe that's not the case, but I think having watched the chances, especially that they created against Crystal Palace and even in the last like, two to two, two, they're, they're like one Richarlison or no, like three Richarlison goals away from being much closer to the top. So yeah, I have a little more faith in them than I do in Spurs. Like I, I think that's yeah. My point is, I have more faith in Everton being able to convert those chances than I do in Spurs not conceding chances. So that's how I would put it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw Everton. Everton drew today to uh, Crystal Palace with a late goal by Mishibachuai. But yeah, Everton had a Chelsea lot, lot of chances. Chelsea legend. There you go. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Everton. I mean, I thought that game today against Crystal Palace was one of their best performances yeah, in, in yeah. the last month or two. Honestly, I think they've been pretty middling the last couple of months, but I think that was very encouraging to see Calvert Lewin, Richarlison, and and um, James Rodriguez on the field together again. And, and so, so yeah, that that team is that team feels like they will not finish in the top four, but even fifth or sixth place, I think, would be really positive really really good season for them either way and, and it feels like they're not extremely far off right so from there elias should we went to our last segment a little roundup um we can start with fulham missing their chance to get out of the relegation zone this past weekend as they went one nil up against aston villa and it was looking very good Mitrovic had his first goal in a long time for Fulham. And they proceeded to get three goals dropped on their head in the next basically 12 minutes of the game where uh, Trezeguet scored twice in a few minutes. And then um, and then our guy, Ollie Watkins, went out and finished it off in the 90th minute. Um, it, it feels... Like Fulham are just not gonna have enough to um to get out of relegation. They 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 now sit they sit three points off of Newcastle. They're they've got a game in hand, so it's not totally gone, obviously. And, and for the most part, they've been much better than Newcastle this season. But it it just never feels like they're gonna score enough goals. Yeah, I I don't I think we've talked about this. Like Fulham's bigger issue now is more creating chances than it is keeping the ball out of their own net. I mean, granted, this converting is, the this chances, came, honestly, in some cases. Yes, yes, converting the chances in some cases, but this is a terrible game to to evidence this ball. <laughs> but at the same time, this game could have probably been put away maybe 20 minutes before the first goal went in. So they're... Listen, they're in a better spot than they were th- four months ago. That goes without yeah. saying. But at the same time, I think it would be – I would be a little concerned with saying that they're in, I guess, a good spot to get out of the relegation zone. I know that we've said that they're maybe a month and a half ago that they're in a good spot too. But this is one of those situations like top four – where I think it could come down to the last two games of the season. Like, for example, Aston Villa played Chelsea the last game of the season, right? So 
that could very well decide top four. Fulham, who did Fulham play the last day of the season? They I play Newcastle. Know. I remember we, we spoke oh, about this. There you, I mean, Alex. that is literally the perfect example of that. So yeah. we can sit here and talk about how a three-point difference at the bottom, you know, oh, maybe Fulham can get out of it, and Newcastle has a game in hand. But at the same time, anything can happen between now and the next six games. And the last few, that's where I think your money's going to be made. Yeah, I mean, look, Fulham still have to play Arsenal, Chelsea, and Manchester United all away before that Newcastle game. Yikes. Yeah, so, I mean, you expect win, they have to win. win. They have to win one of those. They have to they'll win, win one, one of those three games, right? Um, and they just have to put themselves in a position where they're within three points of uh newcastle united going to that last game and that's really all that matters i mean newcastle still has to play they run through a gauntlet the next five games west ham home liverpool away arsenal home leicester away manchester city home that's where fulham have to make the gap up in those next five games they have to at least i think get within at least within two points i mean i think that's not crazy to, to hope for right and and honestly no, it should feel that they that that they can go above newcastle in those in those games but they just have to convert the chances right completely agreed completely yeah agreed. from well, from relegation to looking ahead to the uh champions league games this week and just a couple from the england side elias we, we previewed it a little bit or we teased it a bit um Liverpool's first leg against Real Madrid tomorrow, Tuesday. They were recording this on Monday night. Um, what are we to expect from Real Madrid in this game? Coming off a 2-0 win against Ibar, still obviously no Hazard. No Sergio Ramos for at least the first leg and possibly possibly most of the rest of the season, right? I don't know. What, yeah. what are you expecting from Madrid um, going to this first leg. So Madrid are missing three key starters that would have absolutely played this game if they were healthy. Eden Hazard, Sergio Ramos, and Danny Carvajal. Carvajal with a longer-term injury. Sergio Ramos picked it up in apparently the last five minutes of the Spain yeah. game that he made a cameo. <laughs> I don't understand how that... I, I honestly didn't understand. When I thought... I, I, I thought it was an April Fool's joke, actually. I remember this because I think it came out on... Oh, yes. Yeah. And I was like, okay, apparently April Fool's made to Spain. But no, um, him and Eden Hazard, right? So those three not in the starting lineup. Kareem Benzema has scored, I think it's nine goals in those last seven appearances. So scored in each his, of his last seven games, right? Yeah, back to his absolute best. They're, Liverpool's biggest problem in this game is quite literally going to be, can you prevent Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, and Casemiro from providing services to look at Kareem Benzema. I completely blank for a second, but if they can stop, you're thinking of Vinicius. I can guarantee you, I was thinking of probably Marcus Asensio. That I was not thinking of Vinicius. Um, but if Liverpool can do that with Jordan Henderson, and I wouldn't argue that Tiago would be that player, but if they can do that with Wani Aldum, then they're going to be in pretty good shape because. It's pretty difficult to stop Tony Cruz and Luka Marjic at their best. I mean, 
just genuinely that that is a very hard thing yeah. to do for I any mean, for team any in the world. Team in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like forget La Liga teams, forget Premier League teams. I don't care. That is a very hard thing to do. But if you can intercept those passes and be in the right places, Liverpool are absolute favorites. But if you let 30% of eight chances through, I guarantee you that two eighths are going in. <laughs> Like if if it gets a cream as well, so that's their biggest problem. It's it's a very very fine margin. Um, I'm very excited for this tie of all of the ties. I would have been more excited for PSG Bayern, but Marcus Ferrati is out. You know Lewandowski is out. So I, this is this is the one I'm really looking forward to the most. And I'm fully expecting that tomorrow is going to be a high scoring game, and I think it's going to end in a draw. Fingers crossed. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, we won't, we probably won't get to see Mo Salah up against Sergio Ramos again. <laughs> no, which, no, uh, no. Which felt like it would have ended in someone getting a red card. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> one, one unfortunately, of those <laughs> yeah, possibly. Like, I don't even know. But uh, so, Salah's too nice. Salah's too nice. Ramos would have That's tried true. to be a dick and just probably gotten a red card <laughs> by accident. But <laughs> Or on purpose, because why on not? On purpose, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it should be a fantastic game, though. Yeah. From the other side, I mean, we we touched on Chelsea Porto already, but uh, Manchester City hosting Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund coming off of a huge loss to Eintracht Frankfurt, which would have put them within a point of a fourth place, and and now it looks like they are sinking a bit um, in terms of that fourth place qualification, which will have. Many, many ramifications for a certain Norwegian and probably a certain Englishman um, in terms of Jane Sancho and Erling Holland. I I am genuinely afraid for Dortmund because I think I really think they could get four or five scored on them in the first leg. And even gosh, I feel like I feel like the first half could be really difficult for them. Um but I will back Erling Holland to score. If I had to put money on it, I think he's I think he's gonna score one or two in the over the two legs. But no, yeah, Dortmund Erling, side, yeah. I, like they, the they're easy... <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the easiest bet is Holland scoring over two legs. That though, yeah. I I'll I'll give I'll give you money for that. <laughs> I think he scores one in each leg, and that, and I think that might be it. <laughs> maybe I mean maybe, but the the thing about their Bundesliga game against Frankfurt over the weekend that's so interesting to me and how it relates to City is A, there is a ton of narratives around Holland coming to City, first off. Yeah. Let's let's jot that down. Yeah. Second off, <laughs> if Dortmund don't make the top four in Germany this season, Holland's transfer price is going to plummet by like easily 10 to 15 million euros. So I really I mean, think Mino, that... Mino Raiola and his dad were just just spent the last week shopping him around like <laughs> like I don't Literally. even know what honestly like, Literally. Like, weirdly weirdly shopping a human around but um if you think about it, that's what all transfers what, are yeah, yeah <laughs> when you have a yeah. super agent but yeah. yes that's exactly what he was doing but to my point is this is in some ways Holland's last hurrah if yeah. you will. And it could be that he just goes all out for 
for this tie. So him and Sancho, possibly. Him and Sancho, right? him and Sancho too. That's, that's most likely. Point. Like I mean, if they get if they don't make top four, Sancho definitely is gone, and and you'd have to expect that Holland with his agent and his dad are gonna do, gonna make sure that he's playing Champions League football next season. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So that's the one thing that I would look out for. Um, City fans is Holland just losing his mind and trying to score auditioning <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah actually he's and it's not even gonna be because like oh he wants to go to manchester city it's gonna be like i want to score against a pep team like that's it's gonna yes. be that yes <laughs> like, he, he's that motivated and the last thing that i will say is not only do you have to watch out for um for holland but oh man oh, wait i just had my thought I lost it. Forget it. Oh, That's no. it in the podcast. I actually, no. I actually just had it and I forgot. What a tease! That was yeah. If I if it comes to me, I'll I don't know. I'll put it in the description or something. But wow, I literally just lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, it's hard to be a working man these days. Well, until Elias remembers this point and um and somehow it's like spliced into the very end of this episode or probably <laughs> at the beginning of the next one um i think that's all we got for today yeah that's all we got as always we'll be back with another la liga episode later in the week after the champions league ties um but in the meantime enjoy uh just enjoy football that's what i've learned over the last season rian is that like i say that partially tongue-in-cheek but like actually just yeah enjoy the football we've only got a few more weeks of it left seriously and then we got the Euros and I think the Copa America. What what do we have this summer? Euros. I don't Copa know. America. Yeah, I, I don't know. We've got the sure Gold we Cup. We've, <laughs> we've the the summer will still have a lot, a lot of uh, of soccer going on, but it'll just RT. be yeah, it'll it'll just be um, a lot more primal with the international games. <laughs> I can't wait. Wow. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.